We're going to start reading this morning from verse 11. Before I read, this is a place where Moses had just had an encounter with God. His first experience to talk with God when he saw the burning bush and he decided out of curiosity, why would the bush not burn? And as he drew near to to, to the bush, as in, and that was representing where the presence of God, Moses, God spoke to Moses. And so we pick up part of this conversation, all right? Verse 11. But, when Moses, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So God had already told Moses, they had a good conversation, and he told Moses, I'm here for a purpose and for a reason. And here's what I want to do. I want you to do. And so Moses is now getting his chance to talk to God. And he says, God, who am I to go to, to Pharaoh and tell him to get the ki- children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, God said, I will suddenly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to the Lord, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, Moses went back to the God and says, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and say to me, what's his name? What shall I say? What am I to say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel that the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather all the elders together and say to them, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, appear to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. I have said, I will bring you out of this affliction of Egypt to a land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hevites, and the Jebusites. Oh boy, I guess if your name ends with ites, you'll qualify. To the land flowing with milk and honey. Father, in Jesus' name, we bless your word. Prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us today. We say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Make us, let it nourish our soul, our spirit, and our bodies. Let us never be the same at the sitting of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, for many of you that have been coming here for a long time, and those that maybe are new, over the past few weeks, I have been talking many times about the message, the word go. That's the word that God told us to dwell on this year. Go. And a lot of what we've concentrated on has had to do with challenging people, challenging us to be a light and to, be, to respond to the Great Commission, to go into our community in the places that we live and preach Jesus to be the Lord and bring, uh, bring people to the kingdom of God. Now, I see this story for Moses that is very, very similar to our calling in the New Testament. In fact, it parallels so much the Great Commission. God appears to Moses, God speaks to Moses, and he is speaking to Moses because God is responding to a cry. 
The children of Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. They had been mistreated, brutally treated, um, um, enslaved. Their lives were horrible. Their agony, the Bible says, went up to God. And God responded. And he found a man, Moses, and said, Moses, I want you to go and get the whole children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Easy for God to say that. Moses is thinking, God, this is some serious stuff you're asking me to do. Isn't it funny sometimes we hear God says that this is my will for you? This is what I want you to do. And you think, really? I want to highlight just a few points from what we read. So the first thing Moses, verse 11, the first one we read, he says, Moses, say to God, who am I that I shall go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I shall go to Pharaoh? Moses is thinking, you know, Moses at this point, Moses was just an ordinary guy. In fact, Moses had a criminal record. He was a wanted man in Egypt. So he's thinking, God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you created the universe, everything, absolutely amazing. Your word, your name is unfathomable. I can't even believe I'm talking to you right now. Could you find in this beautiful planet and all the people that you have, couldn't you find a more qualified person to go? Lord, who am I that I should go talk to Pharaoh? Moses had a criminal record. He didn't even have a good job. Do you know God spoke to him at his work? In the desert, tending flock for his father-in-law so he could support his wife and kids. He didn't have even have a decent job. He had to work for his father-in-law just to support his kids. And he goes, God, you know, you have all resources in the world. Nothing is impossible with you. You created the kings of the earth, the educated of the earth, and all the people that, 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 that uh, can do a much better job than me. Who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh? Sometimes we hear the Great Commission. Jesus comes to us. He says that if you become my disciple, he says immediately, immediately, he says, I I want you to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Who am I, Lord? Have you seen my past? Moses, not only did he have a criminal record, he couldn't talk. Well, I guess he was talking to God. But he was a murmurer. He was another guy that could stand in front of people. That's that's for people that are called out for that. Not not, not my kind of person. Here's what happens to us oftentimes. When God puts a call of our lives, oftentimes we start looking at what disqualifies us. How disqualified we are. It's overwhelming, and it's true, it is overwhelming. I remember last night, I just got out of the house, maybe 10, I decided to just walk and pray in my, <laughs> take a walk and pray, and I'm looking at the sky, and we had just a beautiful night last night. The stars were out, you feel like you could get on your deck, jump, and maybe touch one or two. It was just glorious. And, and I love uh, being outside at night, and um, I love looking at the beautiful creation, and I'm thinking, wow, that the God of the universe the God who created all this. He wants relationship with me. He wants, he loves me with an everlasting love. He wants to talk, he talks to me. 
He, wants, he calls me a friend. And it's in an overwhelming sense, and I think to, 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 to all of us. But that's who God is. That's who God is. The other thing I wanted to point out here is that when Moses said, who am I? God responded by something very simple. He said, I will be with you. I guess the most important thing that I see is the assurance of the presence of God with us. Do you know that God is in this place? Do you know that God, when we were singing and praising, that God was right in the midst of us? For he says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That when we sing our praises to him, that God takes a dwelling. That when two or three are gathered together in his name, that God is right there, right in the midst of them. And sometimes it's not about God revealing himself. It's us recognizing, acknowledging, and honoring his presence. God says, Moses... I know you're thinking about a lot of stuff. Your, your, life, your mind is racing. But Moses, I am with you. I will definitely be with you. Matthew 28. Jesus tells us, go into the world and preach to God, make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Lord, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. Friends, one of the most important things and the most valuable lessons that we can learn about God is that God, our God is a God of relationship. And He's a God that is with us. In fact, much more is in us if you're born again. The Spirit of the Lord lives in you, inside of you. And God's saying, you're going through all this stuff and forget that I'm right here. I am right here. My, uh, my wife's aunt, um, uh, both son, many of you have met, and uh, her uncle's suffering with ALS. I know she wrote something in her book, and she said, you know, I regret <laughs> that I didn't take a lot of pictures when we were healthy, when he was healthy. We were always just living life, but I wasn't thinking, well, we should take pictures together. And then now when I'm searching for pictures after he had been sick and all that, I think, boy, why didn't I take more pictures when he was healthy? We're waiting for this big miracle, and the miracle is right inside of you. You're waiting for God to appear in this glorious splendor, and God's always with you. We're worrying about this and that, what life is going to be, and God is always right there to help you. Moses had a life. He had a job. He had children to take care of. And God's saying, uh, the little security you had, the little 401k money you'd accumulate with the father-in-law, Jethro, you were just about to be fully vested. And now, I'm going to pull you out. And then I'm going to take you to a place where it's so uncertain for you. 
And there do what, God? There do what? Speak to who? Pharaoh, the ruler of the known world at the time. And tell him what? The most vibrant economy at that time, the most powerful nation at that time, that I'm going to come and uproot the very fabric of your economy. Egypt was so prosperous in those days. They're the most educated. They're the biggest army, the most strongest army. They're the most um, money of anybody. And their fabric of the economy was held together by the strong, vibrant slave labor that they had. And so Moses is going to come to him and say, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to ask you, O King Pharaoh, ruler of the free world, I'm going to ask you to give up your entire economy. All the wealth that you had accumulated over the years, I'm going to tell you that you need to let my people go, God's people go. Hello? Do you remember him? Do you know just how powerful he is? He's going to look at me and laugh. Are you kidding me, Moses? What are you talking about? God says, you go. Moses had a life just like you and I do. He was not some ordinary thing, some extraordinary person. He was an ordinary man who had met an extraordinary God. other thing I want to highlight, just in the same, verse 12. So he said, I will be with you. That you should be assured of my presence. You should be confident that I am with you. That your faith, this is what Jesus talks about all the time. All ye of little faith, haven't I told you that I'm with you? What else do you need to know? Nothing. We want details, God, give me the business plan. Give me the, uh, how many? No, because it's, I am with you. Sometimes you don't need to know much. You just need to know that he's with you. You don't need to say much. You just need to know that he loves you. You don't need to know much. You need to know that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He says that even a mother will forsake her own child, but your Lord, the Lord your God, will never leave you. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, for he will strengthen your heart. God is with me. Emmanuel, God is with me. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We want a detailed plan. And God says, no, you don't need a detailed plan if you know that I'm with you, if you're walking with me. If you know that I'm on your side, you know that I will never leave you. You know I will never forsake you. You don't need to know much just not to know that I'm with you. So God tells Moses, I am with you. My friends, I tell you, I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. Life happens. Maybe you're like Moses. Maybe you have a record. Maybe you don't even have a good job. You're just playing survival. But God 
If you ask Jesus into your heart, if you know Jesus as your Savior, you need to know that he's with you. God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't promote others. He doesn't give anybody more than he gives the other. What God had with Moses, he desired the same thing for the children of Israel. Let me show you. So, here God's talking to Moses. My next highlight in verse 12, towards the end of that verse. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now, God wanted to bring him out of slavery. He wanted to bring him out of torment. He wanted to bring him out of this horrific life that they had endured for this Many, many years, generation to generation, he wanted to bring him to a land of milk and honey. But he, told, he, tells, he tells Moses that I want you to go and bring my people. Where? To this mountain. Where? To a higher place. To the place where I am that they can serve me, that they can worship me here. God wanted Moses now that he had encountered the presence of the living God, to bring along the children of Israel to a place of relationship where they can have an encounter with the living God. And do you know that with all the stories, if you read Exodus, you have your Bible. I'm not going to narrate as much as I can, but you read your own Bible. But they would go through, God would do some phenomenal miracles ever recorded in history that acknowledge with Jews, Muslims, Christians alike. They acknowledge all the things that Moses did. There is no debate. The three religions that, can, that are strong, they all identify and acknowledge what God did through Moses. We are all in unison on that. God would take the people out of Egypt after miracle from miracle. They will cross the Red Sea. The sea would part and the, a highway will be created in the middle of the sea. They will cross. They will see amazing works that will leave you just saying, wow, how amazing. And they will get out of Egypt. And this generation would go and will never make it to the promised land. They will stay 40 years in the desert. 40 years until all of them will die off without ever seeing the promise. God made it clear in verse 17 that eventually the destination would be that he will give them the land of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the land that flows with milk and honey. This is the promise. This is the thing that they were going for. And for years you read the rest of Exodus explains their life in the desert. And they will spend 40 years. It, the distance would not have taken them 40 years to get to the other point. And God will provide for them manna. The Bible says he will provide food from heaven. And they will survive and live off of that. They got content with manna. They got content to living at a level that was well beneath what God had already intended for them. You see, the grace of God is free. It's a work of God. It will cost you nothing. All you got to do is believe and receive. 
Salvation is a free gift of God. The sinner at the cross who died uh, next to Jesus, who repented of his sin on the cross and said, Jesus, when you go to your father, do not forget me. Jesus looked at him and he told him, well, I guarantee you today I will be with you in paradise. He didn't have to learn the Bible. He didn't get to be baptized. He didn't get baptized in the Holy Ghost. He didn't, do any, he didn't witness to anybody. But Jesus said, today I will be with you in paradise. That is the grace of God. It's a gift that's given for free when we receive it. The anointing in your life will cost you something. See, we look at people that are anointed. We look at people that have, have the, a great power of God. They're moving God. They pray. They, they see God does miracles through their lives. God is blessing them. It seems like there's a grace over their lives. God is always watching over them. And we think, God must have chosen them about me. No, God, it's the anointing. They paid the price for it. And God wanted for the children of Israel what he had with Moses. He said, I want you to bring people to this place right here, right now, this place that I'm talking to you, that they may serve me right in this mountain. So their mind, once they heard the land that flows with milk and honey, they focused their attention on the what God will do and not the who is promising. They were thinking, preoccupied with, won't that be awesome? The day that we were going to be eating steak with no limitation. When the barbecue sauce will have no limits. I tell you, I, I, like, I, like, I, like, I like sweets. And my preferred sweet is honey. Honey barbecue, honey, you know. So I, I could just imagine the land that flows with milk and honey, boy. Cheese and barbecue sauce. It's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> and they will never see it. And they will get so mad at Moses. At times they'll come to Moses and tell Moses, you know, you lied to us. You're a big fat liar. You speak the word of God so boldly that God will do yeah, 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 yeah. nothing. We live here, we're dying. It's even better off. We're better off in Egypt. And that would be their lie. Was God lying? Did God truly not intend for them to see the promised land? He did not. He wanted it. Can I tell you? God wanted it for them more than they wanted it for themselves. God wants to bless you more than you want the blessing in your life. God wants to do the things that He wants to do. He wants the Word of God, the promises of God to be fulfilled in your life because the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. It is His will. But so far too often, we focus our attention on the blessing rather than the blessed earth. God wanted relationship. He wanted to introduce him to a living relationship so that he could talk to him, speak to him, have fellowship with him. What was lost in the garden of Eden? Adam had relationship with God until sin entered the world and separated. And God wanted to restore that relation from the beginning. When God approached Adam, going back to Genesis chapter 3, God came to Adam and Eve after they had disobeyed God and broken the trust 
God came to the garden where he always came to talk to him. Do you know God's first words to Adam was not words of judgment and condemnation? His first words to Adam was, Adam, where are you? He was seeking them. He was seeking Adam. I miss our walk. Why are you hiding from me? Why are you going so far from me? And you know God is still seeking for us. He's seeking for you. He's seeking, boy, Joe, Peter, and Ashley. Where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Why are you hiding from me? It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't like the first one, he was seeking them out. And God still seeks them. Jesus in Luke chapter 19 said that I, the Son of Man, came to the world to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't come just to save. He came to seek. And he's still seeking for us. He's still seeking Revelation says that, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Dining, a place, a thing of fellowship, a team, a thing of relationship. Do you realize that that verse is oftentimes used during an altar call for salvation for people that do not know Christ, but that those words were spoken to a church. It was spoken to already people that are already believers. And the Lord says that I am knocking. I'm calling out your name. Would you hear me? Would you open the door for me to come so I can have fellowship? I can commu- have, have, I can dine with you and you with me? Would you open the door for me? Would you pay the price for the anointing? I tell you, the anointing will cost you something. It's a response to that seeking. When you acknowledge that God's seeking, He's seeking my attention, He's seeking me. And I respond, say, God, that's seeking me. I'm going to seek you. And then He says that when you do that, when you draw near to God, He will draw near to, to you. Seek the Lord while He may be found, call on Him while He is near. He says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Not those who seek his blessing. Is it wrong to seek his blessing? No. But here's the thing. When you find him, you have his blessings. You see what Moses didn't realize what is us in God. God, what can I do? It's like, no, Moses, here's what you need to know. I am with you. And when I am with you, there is healing in me. There is joy in me. There is peace in me. There is deliverance in me. There is freedom in me. Anything you ever need is in me, says the Lord your God. When you find me, you find all your needs. For I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord your provider. We pray, 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 pray. God, me, me. Because says, just find me. Seek my face. Seek my face. Seek my face. And when you find me, you find healing. The Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures evermore. We find him, we find joy. We find him, we find peace because he is the prince of peace. The Bible says the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding will guide your heart and mind through Jesus Christ our Lord. You will find peace in your life when you find him because he is peace. The things that we seek for, are in him. 
The needs that you have are in him. The people that you're praying for can be answered in him. The freedom that you seek in him. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Moses didn't need answers. He didn't need to know nothing. He just needed to know that he, God is with him. And God was looking for the same thing. He wanted the same thing for the children of Israel to have the same relationship that he had just revealed to Moses. He wanted that for them. And if they had found the living God, if they had found a place of relationship, of knowing him, the blessings would have come along with him. The Bible says the signs will follow all those who believe. We don't follow the signs. The fire signs follow us. God wants relationship with his people. Always has been in the Old Testament. It's a theme throughout the scripture all the way into Revelation. Don't have time to go to each one of them. And you realize even at the Garden of Eden, Eden, and when the man fell, God still sought reconciliation. And different ones throughout history would discover, would discover, would discover that God still wants relationship. He wants to restore. He wants to walk with us. The one guy that figured that out first was Enoch. I mentioned him a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Enoch, the five, five generations after Adam. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. You know, probably Enoch went and talked to great, 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 great grandpa and said, tell me, great, 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 great grandpa, what was it? You're thinking, what? People live? What you? Was Adam even there? Was he living at the same time as Enoch? You bet he was. When you're living to be 600 years, 700, 900 years old, you get to see many greats. And I think Enoch probably talked to his great, 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 great grandpa and said, hey, what was he like? How did you respond to God? Because you know when we have seen in our lives, seen basically the normal response is to try and run away from God. But it's a God that is the only one that can forgive and make things right. So it does no help to run away from him. That's why you need to learn to repent and to come to him and say, God, I know I missed up big time. I have no excuses. I need your mercy. I need your grace in my life. I want you because if I go away from you, I have nothing, God. But it's when we sin that we run from him. I want to be a hypocrite, God. So I'm not going to go to church anymore because I got this thing going on in my life. But that's when we need mercy and grace more than any time before. And Enoch, this is my imagination. He would hear and say, that's what I want. I know there's more to life than just living every day, going to work, doing this and that. I know there's more. And the Bible says Enoch was 65 years old. And the Bible says that Enoch began to walk with God. And he walked with God for 300 years. And the Lord was such a friend to Enoch that even what Adam did, God would not allow Enoch to die. Two guys in the Bible, Enoch was the first one. He says, this guy's become such a good pal that I'm going to take him just like that. I'm going to allow him to see corruption. He walked with God. He had relationship with God. You know what his great, 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 great grandpa did? He walked with God. If you see in the beginning of Genesis, God would come in the cool of the day and walk 
with Adam. And they'll talk. Adam. You know all these creations? Adam. What do you think we should name this animal? Adam. And the Bible says that the, the Adam will name it. And God says, okay, that's cool. That's the name. And he named everything. Everything. He was walking with God. Noah. Later in chapter 6. He would walk with God. He would have the discernment and recognition of a coming judgment that nobody in his generation would recognize. In fact, they thought he was a fool. But he would walk with God and God would save him and his family because he walked with God. He knew his God. See, religion tends to dwell on compliance. You know, you can do the right things and, and not have the Spirit of God in you. There's something about religion that we don't like. And you hear people spewing things like, oh, well, it's not about church. It's about relationship. But so, uh, can we be careful with those statements sometimes? Because I cannot personally on my own reflect Jesus on my own. And let me tell you, no matter how old holy you are, you cannot on your own reflect the fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ, he being the head, and the church being the body. So I can be a Christ lover and a church hater. That's, that's an oxymoron. Love your face is beautiful. I hate your body. Great. Tell your wife that you will be kicked. <laughs> You'll be sleeping on the couch or in the basement or something. But that's what we tell Christ all the time. And I know probably that's not what they mean. They probably are meaning, oh, well, they're tired of dry religion. Compliance, but no relationship. But God is a God of relationship. It doesn't invalidate pleasing Him, because when you know somebody well, you know what pleases them, and you do your best to not do something that would hurt them. And so I still do what God wants me to do. I still strive to live a life that would be pleasing unto the Lord. But it's driven from a relationship standpoint, not law. Are, we with, are you with me? So God is calling us. And I want to challenge you. He's calling us into a higher place. He's calling us into a higher place of relationship with him. Because you might be surprised that he wants it for you more than you even want it for yourself. And he's seeking the earth, seeking for people that would walk with him. The door is wide open on his side. The rest is on us. The grace is free. He paid it all. You don't do anything. You just have to believe and receive it. You got it. But the anointing in your life to do what Christ called you to your life will cost you. That's why we try to facilitate in this church an environment where the presence of God can be ushered in. Prayer. Worship. We have pre-service prayer. It's open. We don't have a lot of rules of the prayer. You come in and pray. Get on your knees, walk, do whatever you got to come and pray. It gets you in tune. You live. I love. I, 
I would rather stay in the prayer room but then be happier. I'll be honest with you. I'd rather be in the prayer room but be happier. Like Moses, this was not my choice at first. At first, until I knew what he wanted me to do. Until I knew what he wanted me to do. But I'd rather be in his presence. See, those guys for 40 years, they lived off of manna. They lived out of the daily bread that they got from heaven. It wasn't satisfying. They knew there had to be more. That's why they were so ticked off with Moses thinking that he tricked them. But the problem was not Moses, it was them. See, God was wanting to take them to a place of milk and honey. Spiritually speaking, we get so satisfied and content at the very basic level, the entry level, and that's grace. We eat manna. They, had not, they didn't have to walk for it. You didn't even have to have a fridge. If you tried to stock it up for the next day, it went bad. It was just the daily bread, the ultimate survival. But God wanted our land that is flowing with milk and honey. I tell you, God wants to unleash his presence on his people more than these people have a, have a desire for his presence. He says, those who hunger and thirst shall be filled in the last days. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh that your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men shall dream, dream, see visions. Your young men shall dream dreams. God wants to pour out his spirit on him. And Jesus, when he talks to his disciples, he tells them that I'm with you right now. Believe me, believe me, believe me. It's better off if I went. I think, Jesus, you're giving us a raw deal. It's been awesome being with you. Why are you leaving us? I can, you know, the boy, I, I think there's some emotions. Especially, I think Peter, we've seen us bits and pieces of that. I don't think Peter was like, oh Lord, why are you leaving? I think Peter was probably banging, Lord, you can't go. You're forbidden, Lord, you're forbidden. You can't go, Lord. And Jesus says, chill, 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 chill out. I gotta tell you this, it's better off for you that I go. Because I'm gonna ask the Father. And He's gonna send you a helper. And that helper will be with you. Will be with you always. Respective of where you go. The helper with you. He will teach you the truth. He'll teach you about me. He'll teach you about the Father. He will send the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God move abroad. Look at this one. Look around. People of different races, different, came from different backgrounds. Kid that grew up from Nairobi, Kenya. And the Holy Spirit unites us to worship Him together. And churches are not talking about our God, the Holy Spirit. They believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is like that crazy uncle that you kind of wish he doesn't come to the dinner at Thanksgiving. He gets the invitation because he's family. But you kind of hope that he doesn't because he might misbehave sometimes. <laughs> and embarrass us all. See, when he shows up, some people start speaking in tongues and start prophesying. Whoa. <laughs> we love you, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We love you. But 
Hopefully he doesn't show up. And yet he's the one that Jesus says, this is the promise. And I tell you, when you get the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it'll be absolutely phenomenal. Your life will never be the same. It won't be God with you. It will be God in you. And if God is in you, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You can conquer any battle. You can conquer any defeat because the God in you is greater than he that is in the world. In Jesus' name. The Spirit of God is still alive today. You can have a vibrant relationship with your God. You don't have to go and seek and experience some place. You could get on your knees. You could get, you could have start a relationship with him. How do you begin that? This is come into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his cause with praise. See, because of religion, we've made prayer a matter of submitting needs to God. Not an opportunity to have fellowship with God. So when we call for altars, we always have the altars open. I'll be honest with you, I'm speaking from my heart. My heart cries when these altars are empty. Because so often we associate that with, I need something, my life is broken. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to stand there. I ever wonder what's going on with my life. Because we are thinking, we are thinking. We're thinking the wrong way. We're thinking about the things, not Him. Prayer is not just about needs. There is that. But what did Jesus say when He taught us the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then one line, give us this day our daily bread. And it goes on, but it goes on to finish. For thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever and ever. There is more praise, there is more worship, there is more thanksgiving going on in the Lord's prayer than the need. Why? Because when we find him, our needs are met. I'm going to challenge us, Lincoln City Church. In these last days, you don't know what's going to happen. This is not out of fear. I hope that you have a, your heart is getting turned on for God. And realize that he's always seeking you. He says, you know what? I'm going to seek your face. 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 Because the Bible says in Isaiah that those that know their God, they are strong and they shall do mighty things. They shall do mighty exploits. It's in knowing their God. You come into his gates with thanksgiving. I teach my kids that. Because the prayer at our house, it's not just about, oh, thank you for, oh, bless this. I remember I was challenging my kids. I say, okay, when he says, come into your gates with thanksgiving, what are we thankful for? And they will start shouting things. It's like, and I'll keep asking the same question, thinking, dad, drop it. Because, and then the thing is, you realize if you're really determined to thank God, you could go on all day thanking God. And then I'll, <laughs> and I'll go back and say, okay, so 
come into his courts with praise. Why do we praise him? Shout it. Why do we praise him? Come on, I want to hear you. He is good. He's fighting for us. He loves us. Right over here. Why do we praise God? He is worthy. He is... Come on, say it out loud. Shout it. He is merciful. Shout it. Come on, shout it. He's kind. He's glorious. He's beautiful. He's awesome. He's the king. He's God. He's our savior. He's the love of our soul. Come on. What else? What else? Come on. Come on in this place. What else? What do we praise God for? For breath, for life. For the right mind. For our health. He, he can take no evil. Come on. Salvation. Protection, salvation. Mighty, mighty. He's mighty. He, for guidance. Why do we praise Him? He can forgive us. Come on, I love that. I love that. He's the shield. He's our salvation. So when we come to the house of the Lord, you know what we do? We proclaim the praises of our God. We exalt the name of our God. We begin to proclaim. We are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim the glory of our God. We lift Him up. We exalt Him. We thank Him. He's great. He's mighty. He's glorious. He's beautiful. Spectacular. No one like Him. The one who was. The one who is. The one that is to come. Oh, there is no one that can be compared with Him. He alone deserves the praise. He alone deserves the praise. He alone is worthy. He's on a whole class by Himself. The house of God should be a house of praise. Do you know if we come into his presence with that attitude in our hearts, already predetermined to praise God? When the pastor says, let's stand up, let's praise our God, that our voice begin to proclaim the glory of the Lord. King David says, I will bless the Lord in the middle of the congregation. I will proclaim his glory. I will proclaim his beauty. And do you know when we do that, we create an atmosphere where the glory of the Lord dwells. Because God loves it when people, his people, praise him for who he is. Not just for what he's done, and we praise him for what he's done, but we praise him also for who he is. And you leave a service with an assurance. Lord, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? What shall I tell him? Moses, I am with you. The confidence that comes, it inspires praise out of my soul when I think about the goodness of the Lord. Talk about a reach. And I tell you, our city, our nation, Our generation will be absolutely transformed when God's people begin to proclaim with their whole mouth who God is. You look at your mountains, look at your situation, your job situation, your relationship situation, your money situation, your health situation, and say, I know this is what's going on, but my God is greater. My God is higher. My God is stronger. In Jesus' name. And begin to praise anyhow and worship anyhow. And watch if the blessings of God, you won't be chasing them, they'll be chasing you. God is calling us to a higher place. 
come into his gates with thanksgiving and to his cause with praise. We want to close the service today with worship and praise. Let this be the place that God is looking to the earth. The Bible says that he goes through the earth. He's searching for worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth. Let him come because that's the place. 5,001 South Fast Street in Lincoln Approach. That's the place that I'm going to manifest my presence. Let's go to a higher place, people. Let's go to a higher place. Because Moses knew God, because he knew his God, he had an encounter with his God. Guess what? Even Pharaoh would say, who is this man? Who is this man? You get out of here, Moses. Get your slaves out of here. Get out of here, Moses. I need God with anxious. Because you know what? The glory of God is with him. Because when God's with you, even your enemies will leave you alone. Because the Bible says when God arrives, all his enemies get scattered. You don't even have to take care of it. God will take care of it for you. Key point, we need to know our God. We need to pay the price for the anointing. We need to pray. We need to seek his face. These altars are not for just needs. You can bring your needs to the altar, but still worship the one who alone is worthy. You determine. I determine. When I walk up this morning, when I came to church, I determine, God, today is the day that you have made. I purpose in my heart that I will rejoice and be glad in you. My wife is sick. I have seven kids. My wife's been sick this week. She can come to church with me. But this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm trying to sell my house for several months, Jasper. <laughs> but God, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh boy, my knee hurts when I try to get up. It is hurting. It doesn't matter. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, I cannot get a job offer. I have put applications everywhere. Nobody is even paying any attention to my experience. This is a day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You make a predetermined decision that you're going to praise God anyhow. And I tell you, your God will never leave you. He will show up when you don't even expect it. And when he shows up, you'll be like, wow, this is the doing of the Lord. And it is marvelous in my sight. He will surprise you. He walks in ways you cannot expect. God knows your place. He knows your situation. He understands everything about you. He's knocking at your door. He wants you to come to him. And he will bless you. Let's stand up. Come on. Let's give him praise in the house. Come on. I I had the praises. Come on. Begin to declare out of your mouth the greatness of our God. Begin to proclaim the greatness of our King.